0: Well, good morning. And, uh, again, welcome to Christ Central Church. Uh, glad that you're here with us this Sabbath day. Um, as Aaron said, my name is Timothy. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central, and excited to be with you and to share with you God's Word this morning. We are continuing in our sermon series in the Book of Ecclesiastes that we started last week, uh, entitled "Chasing Meaning." And this week we're going to be in chapter 2. We're going to be starting in verse 1. I'm going to invite you now, as is our custom, if you would stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word. Again, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We'll be starting in verse 1. This is God's Word. So the preacher says, "I, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure Planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. And I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept from my heart no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. And then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. And now verse 24, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. The prophet Isaiah says, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We believe that it's true. And we ask now that you would speak to us through your word, that you would... Allow me, your servant, to get out of your way so that you could bring your truth to us, your people. We ask, God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I can't help but marvel as I look around this room at how God is growing his church here in Durham, North Carolina. I can vividly remember when there were just about 40 of us gathered together down the road at John O'Daniel building. And back then I I knew those 40 people pretty well. However, that's not the case anymore, and I somewhat grieve the fact that there are quite a number of you that I've never even met before. However, although I do not know many of you from Adam, I'm convinced that there is something that is absolutely and positively true about each and every one of you, and that is you want to be happy. Deep down, that's really what you want. In fact, I doubt that there are many things that you've done thus far today that weren't done primarily for the purpose of making you happy. The food that you ate or didn't eat this morning, the music or the silence that you enjoyed on the ride to church, the the parking space or seat you chose in the sanctuary if you got here early enough to choose. You did all these things to make yourself happy Now, I'm not making any sort of moral judgment here, but I'm just simply stating a fact. All of us are chasing happiness all the time. If you don't believe me, maybe you will believe someone much smarter than me. Blaise Pascal weighs in on this topic. He says, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they use, they all tend to this end. Because of someone going to war and of others avoiding it, it is the same desire in both to be happy. This is the motive of every action, of every man, even of those who hang themselves. And what's fascinating about what Pascal says is that what makes us unique is not whether or not we seek it, but what makes us unique is where we seek it. And the author of Ecclesiastes, the preacher, he, he recognizes this as well, as well, that the pursuit of happiness is unavoidable, which is why his goal in writing is not to inspire us to stop seeking it, but rather to direct us to where true happiness is found. And here in chapter 2, the preacher directs us by showing us all the places that he looked for happiness throughout his life and that proved, ultimately, not to satisfy. Our text this morning is, is, is separated into two sections. The, the first I've labeled, chasing satisfaction, and the second, finding fulfillment. Chasing satisfaction and, and finding fulfillment. Let's begin. As I mentioned already, the preacher, like each and every one of us, spent his whole life searching for happiness. If you were here last week, you heard how he began his search by looking for something new, something novel, but soon realized that the monotony of life cannot be escaped. Then after that, he looked instead for permanence in this life, something that might endure, but he soon realized that death removes all hope of permanence. And I have to imagine there's a a lengthy pause here after chapter 1 where the preacher ponders, what then shall I do? And the only answer that he's able to come up with is to indulge. Verse 1 says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. You see, he comes to the conclusion that since there is nothing new and because of death and there's no permanence to be had, then all that is left in this life is to live fully for myself In the moment. And so the next seven verses describe this YOLO-motivated ride that the preacher took over the course of his life in hopes that he might find true happiness along the way. And it's what's interesting is he actually gives us specifics. This is a surprisingly, shockingly vulnerable window into the life of someone of such great status. He tells us that the places that he looked for happiness were in alcohol. And work, and wealth, entertainment, and sex. that Those were his test subjects, if you will. So the big question is, what was the result of this grand experiment? And in his searching, we're, we're waiting to hear, did he, in fact, find happiness? And what the text reveals is that his answer is, well, yes and no. And I think if we're honest, we can resonate with that. Because so often in our own search for happiness, we we look in the same places. And I think if we're honest, our answer to the question is, did that satisfy? Well, yes and no. Look at how the preacher describes this, verse 10. It says, as he's looking back on all this indulgence, he says, I kept my heart from no pleasure for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. So here in verse 10, it appears he's saying, yes, yes, he did find happiness. But then in the very same breath, he declares, declares, verse 11, then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So how how can this be? How can these things bring pleasure and at the same time all be vanity and striving after the wind? And the answer lies in our understanding of the difference between satisfaction and fulfillment. So what is the difference? Well, satisfaction is merely a longing that has been realized, that has been filled. It occurs every time I get what I want. And it should be noted that, that even a drug addict is satisfied in his using. Even an adulterer is satisfied in his adultery. Even a racist is satisfied in his bigotry. To be satisfied is actually rather easy to achieve. And that is what the experience the preacher experienced in all this testing. He says, much satisfaction came my way. But now fulfillment is something different. Fulfillment, for the moment, we will define as satisfaction that lasts. We're going to build on that in a minute. But for now, let's just say that fulfillment is satisfaction that endures. And this is why the preacher argues that ultimately his experiment failed. Because although in his indulging he most certainly found satisfaction, unfortunately, none of that satisfaction lasted. As one commentator put it, the preacher held happiness in his hands and then felt it slip through his fingers, like water and vanished down the drain." You see what the, the preacher is arguing here this is the big reveal is that although we can certainly find satisfaction We cannot find fulfillment, true and lasting happiness from these things, from alcohol, from work, from wealth, from entertainment, and sex. It's a pretty convincing argument, isn't it? I mean, I think it should be noted here that the preacher was actually uniquely positioned to do this test like any other, unlike any other. You see, because of his status, his power and privilege, unlike you and I, he was able to do a very thorough, one might even say an exhaustive experiment. You know, he didn't experiment with with cheap wine. No, the finest of wines. He had an awesome job and he was extremely good at it and highly successful in his vocation. He amassed ridiculous amounts of money, more than we could ever dream of He brought in the best entertainment possible. This wasn't the local choir. He was bringing in the best singers money could buy. And it says he fulfilled every sexual fantasy that he ever had. And so part of us is inclined to take his word for it and, and believe when he says that none of this truly satisfies And newsflash here, he's not the only one who's ever made this argument. This is not a strictly Judeo-Christian idea. There are countless accounts of people who've made it, if you will, who arrived only to look back and inform the rest of us that the final destination, it wasn't as great as they thought it would be. Maybe you've heard this before, but famous comedian Jim Carrey once said, He says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Norman Rockwell, one of the wealthiest people of all time, when asked how much money would be enough, he replies, one more dollar. See, there's countless accounts of people that recognize that true fulfillment cannot be found through these mediums that the preacher tried. Yet, for some reason, most of us, my, myself included, find it almost impossible to take them at their word. I, I don't know about you, but I often feel like I, I must do the testing on my own. I got to figure it out for myself. I have to learn the hard way in case these guys, you know, they may have missed something, right? And the problem is, I believe that our testing, our indulging, our our pursuit of happiness is increasingly prone to be unfruitful in America in 2020 and not lead us to the conclusion that the preacher came to that all is vanity. And here's why. I think there's two reasons why we're set up to fail. And the first is because never before have there been so many options to indulge in. I mean, is not our world like a buffet of indulgences? Think about the preacher's pursuit of alcohol, of of some substance to make him happy. For us, alcohol is just the beginning. Drugs are all around us, and they're more and more potent each day. The opiate epidemic is no joke. These are, there's substances everywhere, and they're constantly promising to bring us the happiness that we seek. What about Work. Americans are working more and vacationing less than ever before. That's just what we do. And as Pascal made clear, everything we do, the choices that we make are motivated by the pursuit of happiness. So clearly, Americans are convinced that working a lot will make you happy. Maybe this is because we believe that money is what will truly satisfy. In 2006, Chris Gardner told... The story of his life in a book entitled The Pursuit of Happiness that was later made into a movie. It's this phenomenal story of rags to riches, of the American dream come to life. And I think what's interesting is the closing argument of the book that I doubt anyone argued against is that if you don't have money, you can't be happy. But if you are successful and accumulate lots of money, you are guaranteed happiness. Let us not forget about sex. Talk about options. The accessibility of pornography increases every day. No longer do we need to interact with a human being. We can fulfill these longings in front of a screen anytime, anywhere. Not only that, regardless of whether you think it is a good thing or a bad thing, what the sexual revolution has brought about is endless options in terms of how we can pursue happiness sexually what's the problem? What's the real problem with having all these options? The problem is that in our testing, it becomes very hard to ever be fully convinced that we've tried it all, or at least tried it to the fullest. And therefore, what that produces is we live with this but-if mentality when it comes to happiness. Well, I know my work is not satisfying right now, but if I get that promotion or, or that award or if I dominate that work project, then, then it will satisfy. I know my bank account doesn't make me happy right now, but when it gets to this number, you know, then, then I will most certainly be happy. I know my sex life doesn't bring me joy right now, but if I had this partner or I tried something different or new or novel, well, then maybe I'll be happy. And you see, the problem is that unlike the preacher, we will never be able to say we've truly tried it all. That's not the only reason why I think our testing is is destined to fail. The second reason is because of our connectivity. I believe we're being fooled into thinking that happiness is something that everyone else has other than me. Now, don't hear me as being anti-social media but I do feel like social media is feeding this idea like never before because I don't think there's ever been a platform that better communicates I ain't got it but I know somebody else who does you know I don't have the best body but I'm looking at someone else right here who does I don't have the nicest house but but here's someone else who does I don't have the the best spouse or the nicest car or the best degree from the best institution or the most well-behaved ch- children or the trendiest fashion or the most intimate relationship with Jesus. But here's someone else who does, who's staring back at me all day, every day. And what happens is we come to believe that we are unique in our unhappiness. And we believe that if only we tried what they have or, or did what they did, then we'll be happy. And so what this means is that in order for us to to heed the wisdom of the preacher in this buffet line of indulgences, in order to stop exploring, we have to take a risk. It's a calculated risk, but but it's a risk nonetheless because the truth is we will never be able to try all all the options like the preacher did. We'll never know for sure that we tried it all and that if we didn't try this or that, we wouldn't have been truly happy. Can I be vulnerable with you? I'm going to, whether you want me to or not. As I'm writing this sermon, I'm getting spam emails inviting me into a dark world of pornography. And, And when I'm writing this sermon, even while I'm in the text, praying, thinking, there's a part of me that wonders, will clicking that link make me happy? And the only way I would fully know is if I were to click it. Isn't that scary? So I have to take a risk in not clicking, a risk that I might be missing out. But I choose to trust the preacher that that God's word is true. I choose not to indulge believing in that moment that it won't fully satisfy That is just a microcosm of our life. We are constantly bombarded with choices, either this road or that road. And we have to choose which will give us what we are hoping for, what we are longing for. And it's hard. It's hard in this sea of options to believe that all these things they're promising to satisfy won't actually give us what they promise. Now, what's been helpful for me in in Taking the risk is beginning to learn more and more why these indulgences won't satisfy. And we see this not here in our text, Ecclesiastes 2, but throughout the scriptures. And I think there's there's really two reasons why these indulgences don't satisfy. The first is, is because these things were not created to bring us fulfillment. I'm right now working through a children's catechism with my my kids, just a set of questions and answers about about God that that, that we memorize together. Question one is, who made you? And the answer is is God. And then question three is, is what else did God make? And the answer is, God made all things. Now, there's a reason why these questions and answers come first. Because the one who creates something is the one who determines its purpose and its function. Nobody knows the ins and outs of a creation better than the one who created it. There's nothing profound in what I'm saying. That's just true. But therefore, if we believe that, if we believe that God created us in all things, then that makes him the authority on us and all things. And if we believe that, then we must believe that nobody knows better the purpose and function of us and all things than God. So what am I getting at? Do you realize that God is the creator of laughter, of alcohol, of work, of wealth, and even sex, which makes him the authority on the purpose and function of each of these? And the message that the preacher is bringing is that These things were not created, they were not designed by God to give you meaning, to give you ultimate fulfillment. This is what the Apostle Paul warns us about in Romans 1. He says, at the heart of sin is is we exchange the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the created things rather than the creator. He's saying that sin is to look for fulfillment from created things. And, church, the application for us is, as Daniel mentioned last week, we need to temper our expectations. We need to stop expecting too much from these things that are under the sun, as the preacher says. The other thing that helps me to take this risk and not indulge is is that the preacher helps us to see, and this is a little bit weightier, but, but I think it's important, that this world is not our home. I don't know if any of you ever watched that old game show, Supermarket Sweep. I just love that show. It was so good. And, I mean, you, you, the, the first part's kind of boring, but you're waiting for the end. Uh, and at the end, each team is given a certain amount of time to run around the supermarket and take whatever they wanted. And whatever they put in their shopping cart, it, it's theirs to keep. It's hilarious to watch these people losing their minds, racing around the store, trying to grab the most expensive items, and they've got a shopping cart full of 12 turkeys. I'm not sure what they're going to do with 12 turkeys, but uh, they just it's theirs now. They got it. And, and it makes sense why they acted this way in the show, because there's a time limit on their free shopping you know, at the end of that time limit, they have to go back to actually paying for groceries like the rest of us. Church, if, if we think this short life that we live, the here and now, is all we've got, then we sure as heck better chase happiness like those on supermarket suite because the clock is running and it's going to run out and we better get what we can while we still have time. And I think the scary thing is, if we're honest, this is how most of us live life, Christians and non-Christian alike. As one commentator, David Gibson, points out, he says, our lifestyle choices are the litmus test. The homes we live in, the money we spend, the churches we build, the way we spend our time, they reveal where our true sense of permanence lies. He goes on to say that the fact that we hold the good things of this world too tightly and lavish our affections on them too freely reveals how confused we are about where our forever home really is. The Apostle Paul reminds us of this in in 1 Peter 2, that our place in this world is as an alien and a sojourner. We're just visiting. This is not our forever home. I love how the author of Hebrews describes how Abraham lived this out. He says, by faith, Abraham made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. See, what this means for you and me in our pursuit of happiness is that we must recognize we can't find it here. Now, now, just like last week, I recognize we're starting to enter into some depressing waters. And I promise you I'm going to bring it around. But it's, it's depressing because if the things of this world were not created to satisfy and satisfaction cannot be found here, does this mean that there's no hope for happiness in this life? Now, thankfully, that's not how the preacher ends. That's not the preacher's final word. Here in verse 24, it is, appears as though the preacher stumbles into fulfillment, uh, maybe even in spite of himself. Listen to what he says. He says, there's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Now, at first glance, it, it seems like he's flip-flopping again. He's maybe going back and saying, "Well, oh, well, maybe indulgences are where it's at. But it's the next verse, the qualifying verse, that gives us the real insight into where we can find fulfillment. He says, "This also I saw is from the hand of God." Verse twenty-five: For apart from Him, who can eat, or who can have enjoyment? For the one who pleases Him, God has given wisdom, and knowledge, and joy. What's he saying here? So important. His his point is that fulfillment only comes when we begin to realize that absolutely everything is a gift from God. Therefore, this monumental revelation that the preacher comes to at the end of his life is that there is no fulfillment to be had in this life apart from him. It's not that fulfillment is unobtainable, but it's obtainable apart from God. This is why many commentators believe the preacher When he refers to things under the sun, he's not talking about these things as bad things, but rather they're just simply anything that is pursued, that is chased apart from God. And so those things will not satisfy. But the good news is, church, don't miss this, is that our God is not opposed to us being fulfilled. He's not against us being satisfied. He just demands that that fulfillment be found in him. And don't get me wrong, this is not a power trip on God's part, but rather God in his infinite wisdom, he already knows what it took the preacher a lifetime to figure out. And that is that when we pursue fulfillment apart from him, it always ends up being vanity. It always turns out to be smoke. It always slips through our fingers like water and vanishes down the drain. And we know that to be true. That's the yes and no of chasing after happiness. But the good news is that God is inviting us to find that fulfillment, that satisfaction that endures in him. Psalm 1611, in my presence is the fullness of joy. At my right hand is pleasure forevermore. I said earlier that fulfillment is satisfaction that lasts. I want to give you a more fuller definition now. I think fulfillment is actually the convergence of design and function. What does that mean? Well, it happens when someone does what they were made to do. Church, people were created by God. We were created by God in his image to glorify and enjoy him. And the only place that we will ever find true and lasting satisfaction is when we raise our eyes and look to him and him alone to fulfill our deepest longings. That's where fulfillment is found. But why then does the preacher say there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in this life? In light of what we just said, we, would, we might think that the application of this text would be we need to pour out all the booze, we need to all quit our jobs, we need to give all our money away, we need to stop listening to music and going to shows and we need to become celibate because none of that stuff's going to satisfy. That's not what he says. He says... Go ahead and enjoy these things. But don't enjoy them under the sun, rather under God. And to do that is to recognize that they are gifts, gifts from the great giver. And the good news is as long as we look for fulfillment in him, these gifts are of no danger to you. But rather alcohol, work, money, art, and sex can simply be his good gifts for us to enjoy. I'm going to close here. For Christmas, my aunt uh, sent me a gift card to this really fancy restaurant in Hillsboro called Panchudo. And I believe that I'm her favorite nephew, and I think because of that, this gift was really extravagant. Uh, Stacy and I were, my wife were blown away by her generosity. Not only that, though, her thoughtfulness, too, because my love language is good food. And so she was speaking to my heart. And so a few weeks ago, Stacey and I went to this restaurant. It was, it was mind-blowing. It was so good. I felt like we talked about the food for days. What was interesting was that throughout the night, I kept thinking about my aunt, about how thoughtful she is, about how my whole life she has loved me so well, loved me as her own. And multiple times throughout the night, we, you know, we sent her a text to tell her what a wonderful time we were having. You see, as as amazing as the gift was, where my heart went that night was the giver. Because I knew that the gift would not have been possible apart from my aunt, from the giver. And so that night I enjoyed first and foremost the giver and also her gift. That's the invitation of Ecclesiastes chapter 2 to first and foremost enjoy the giver. Enjoy this great and glorious God who loves us and cares for us beautifully. To recognize that all that is good comes from him. And when we do that well, then and only then are we set free to enjoy the giver and his gifts. Amen. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you. You are such a good giver, a giver of great gifts. Thank you that you do desire for us to find fulfillment, lasting joy, and that we can find that fulfillment in you. Father, we confess that we, every day, we look to other things. We look for fulfillment in all the wrong places, and it never satisfies, it never lasts. Father, we thank you that in spite of our wandering, in spite of how we are so prone to look elsewhere, you still invite us in, you still call us to yourself, and you encourage us to come and be satisfied. Father, would we do that more and more each day? Would we find true and lasting fulfillment in you? Pray these things in Jesus' name.